Chapter 20 of Countess Erika's Apprenticeship. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Vinay Mala. Countess Erika's Apprenticeship by Osip Shubin. Translated by Annis Levister. Chapter 20. Curiosity carried the day. The Countess Landoff left her card at the Plaza Luzoni and as a consequence the Baroness Nierwinden called upon both ladies and left a written invitation for them which informed them that my dear friend Minona von Rettenfels will delight us by reading aloud her latest and unpublished work. To her grandmother's surprise Erika seemed quite willing to go to this one of the Baroness Nierwinden's entertainments and Constance Mulberg accompanied them. The party was full of laughing expectation, much as if the pleasure in prospect had been a masquerade. Expectation on this occasion did not much exceed reality. The old countess and Constance Mulberg were extremely entertained. And Erika? Well, they arrived at a tolerably early hour, 10 o'clock, and found the three immense rooms in which the Nierwinden was wont to receive almost empty. The lady of the house, when they entered, was seated on a small divan beneath a kind of canopy of antique stuffs in the remotest of these rooms. Her black eyes were still fine. Her features were not ignoble, but were hard and unattractive. She received the Countess Landoff with effusive cordiality, referred to several youthful reminiscences which they possessed in common and was quite gracious to both the younger ladies. After several commonplace remarks, she dashed boldly into a discourse upon the final destiny of the earth and the adjacent stars. She had just informed her guests that she was privately engaged upon the improvement of the electric light and should soon have a completed system of universal religion when a sudden influx of guests caused her to stop in the middle of a sentence, leaving her hearers in doubt as to whether the catechism of the new faith was to be printed in Volapuk or in French, in which latter language most of the Baroness's intellectual efforts were given to the world. Erika was obliged to leave her place beside the hostess and to mingle in the crowd that now rapidly filled the three reception rooms. She found very few acquaintances and made the rather annoying discovery that with the exception of a couple of flat-chested English girls, she was the only young girl present. If Count Runberg had not made his appearance to play Cicerone, she must have utterly failed to understand what was going on around her. The masculine element was the more strongly represented, but the feminine contingent was undoubtedly the more aristocratic. It consisted chiefly of very beautiful and distinguished women of rank who almost without exception had by some fatality rendered their reception at court impossible. Most of them were divorced, although upon what grounds was not clear. The strictly orthodox Venetian and Austrian families avoided these entertainments, not so much upon moral grounds as because it was embarrassing to meet the classes of their own rank and because, besides, 
they believed this cello to be a hotbed of the rankest radicalism both in morals and in politics in this they were not altogether wrong there was nothing here of the kapila vastu system of which the old countess was wont to complain in berlin no every imaginable topic was discussed and after the most heterogeneous fashion consequently the cello was in its way an amusing one its tiresome side being the determination on the part of the hostess not to allow her guests to amuse themselves but always to offer them a plado resistance in some shape or other on this evening this plow was fraulein minona von rettenfels and in the midst of count runberg's most amusing witticisms the guests were all bidden to assemble for the reading in the largest of the three rooms here she sat with her manuscript already open and the conventional glass of water on a spindle leg table beside her she was about 50 years old large boned stout and very florid dressed in a red gown short with black which gave her the appearance of a half boiled lobster and with strings of false coin around her neck and in her hair before the performance began the electric lights were turned off and the only illumination proceeded from two wax candles with pink shades on the table beside minona the literary essay was preceded by a musical prologue rendered by the pianist g who happened to be in venice at the time he played a paraphrase of sigmund's and siglinda's love jute gradually gliding into the motif of isolde's death all of which naturally increased the receptive capacity of the audience for the coming treat the last tone died away minona von rettenfels cleared her throat tombs she hurled the word as it were in a very deep voice into the midst of her audience this was the pleasing title of her latest collection of love songs it consisted of two parts love life and love death in the first part there was a great deal said about dawn and dew drops and in the second part quite as much about worms and withered flowers while in both there was such an amount of ardent passion that one could not but be grateful to the baroness for her barouth fashion of darkening the auditorium thus veiling the blushes of certain sensitive ladies as well as the sneering looks of others of course minona's delivery was highly dramatic she screamed until her voice failed her she rolled her eyes until she fairly squinted and count runberg offered to wager an entire set of her works that one of her eyes was glass in most of her verses the lover was cold hard or faithless but now and then she reveled in an oasis in the desert of life then she became unutterably grotesque the only distinguishable word in a languishing murmur being love suddenly in the midst of this extraordinary performance was heard the clicking of a couple of steel knitting needles and shortly afterwards the reading came to an end again the room was flooded with light in the silence that reigned the clicking needles made the only sound erica looked to see whence the noise proceeded and perceived an elderly lady with grey hair brushed smoothly over her temples and a shrewd almost masculine face sitting very erect and dressed in a charming old-fashioned gown 
her brows were lifted and her face showed unmistakably her decided disapproval of the performance in the midst of the heated atmosphere she produced the impression of a stainless block of ice who is that erica asked the countess mulberg who sat beside her fraulein agatha von horn shall i present you erica assented and the countess led her to the lady in question who still knitting was seated on a sofa with three young very shy artists and overshadowed by a tall fan palm the countess presented erica the artists rose and the two ladies took their seats on the sofa beside fraulein von horn the fraulein sighed and conversation began if i am not mistaken you are a dear friend of the gifted lady whom we have to thank this evening for so much pleasure said constance mulberg we travel together because it is cheaper fraulein von horn replied calmly but as with certain married couples we have nothing in common save our means of living indeed said constance i am glad to hear it for in that case we can express our sentiments freely with regard to the poetess quite freely just then count ruenberg joined the group and informed the ladies that he had been congratulating minona upon her magnificent success what did you say to her the truth loving agatha asked almost angrily in you i hail our modern sappho that is what i told her and she replied asked constance mulberg the count fanned himself with his opera hat with the languishing air and lisped avi sappho sablin sappho tu yoha lamin histoire after more than 2000 years poor minona and to think that she cudgels it all out of her imagination fraulein agatha remarked ironically she has no more personal experience than well than i sh not so loud constance whispered laughing she never would forgive you for betraying her thus i have known her from a child fraulein von horn continued composedly she once exchanged love letters with her brother's tutor and since then she has always played the game with the dummy the dry way in which she imparted this piece of information was irresistibly comical but in the midst of the laughter which it provoked a loud voice was heard declaiming at the other end of the room where in the midst of a circle of listeners stood a black-bearded individual with the mephistophelian cast of countenance holding forth upon some subject who is that asked countess mulberg i do not know the fellow said the count not in my line a writer from vienna fraulein von horn explained he was invited here that he might write an article upon minona what is he talking about asked the count countess mulberg who had been stretching her delicate neck to listen replied about love indeed exclaimed count ruenberg springing up from his seat i must hear what the fellow has to say and followed shortly afterwards by constance mulberg he joined the circle about the black-bearded seer erica remained sitting with fraulein agatha on the sofa beneath the palm they could hear the seer's drawling voice as he announced very distinctly love is the instinctive desire of an individual for union with a certain individual of the opposite sex Fraulein von Horn meditatively smoothed her grey hair with one of her long knitting needles and said carelessly, "I know that definition. 
it is Max Norton's. Whereupon she left her seat beside Erica to devote herself to the three artists, her protégés. Erica was left entirely alone under the palm, in a state of angry discontent. Never before, wherever she had been, had she been so little regarded. She was of no more importance here than Fraulein Agatha, hardly of as much. For the first time it occurred to her that under certain circumstances it was quite inconvenient to be unmarried. At the same time, she was conscious of a great disappointment. She had not come hither to study the Baroness Nirwinden's eccentricities or to listen to Minona von Rettenfeld's love plaints. She had come. What in fact had she come for? From the other end of the room came the seer's voice. The only strictly moral union is founded upon elective affinity. Very true, exclaimed Frau von Nirwinden. A short pause followed. The servants handed about refreshments. Rosenberg, the black-bearded seer, stood with his left elbow propped upon the back of his friend Minona's chair. In his right, he held his opera hat. A French literator who had understood enough of the whole performance to be jealous of his German colleague began to proclaim his view of love. Le mort astan, illusion qui que. There he stuck fast. Then somebody, whom Erika did not know, exclaimed, where is Lucency? He knows more of the subject than we do. He ought to be able to help us. I think his knowledge is practical rather than theoretical, said Count Truenberg. Not long afterwards, a few guests took leave as it was growing late. The circle was smaller, and Erika discovered Lucency seated on a lounge between two ladies, Frau von Gialstein and the Princess Grigoriewicz. The princess was a beauty in her way, tall, stout, very decolleté, and with long, languishing eyes. Lucency was leaning towards her and whispering in her ear. Erika rose with the sensation of disgust and walked out upon a balcony, where she had scarcely cast a glance upon the veiled magnificence of the opposite palaces when Lucency stood beside her. Good evening, Countess. I had no idea that you were here. I discovered you only this moment. In her irritated mood, she did not offer him her hand. You are astonished that my grandmother should have brought me here, she said with a shrug. But to her surprise, she perceived that nothing of the kind had occurred to him. His sense of what was going on about him was evidently blunted. Why? he asked. Because, because of the antecedents of the hostess? It is long since people have troubled themselves about those, and it is the brightest sallow in Venus. There has certainly been nothing lacking in the way of animation tonight, Erika observed coldly. She was leaning with both hands on the balustrade of the balcony, and she spoke to him over her shoulder. He cared little for what she said, but her beauty intoxicated him. Always strongly influenced by his surroundings, the least noble part of his nature had the upper hand with him tonight. Rosenberg has taken great pains to entertain his audience, he remarked carelessly. And his efforts have assuredly been crowned with success, Erika replied contemptuously. Then with the shade more of scorn in her voice, she asked, Is there always as much, as much talk of love here? 
It is frequently discussed, he replied. And why not? It is the most important thing in the world. Then, with his admiring artist stare, he added in a lower tone, as you will discover for yourself. She frowned, turned away and re-entered the room. He stayed outside, suddenly conscious of his want of tact, but inclined to lay the fault of it at her door. Tis a pity, she is so whimsical a creature, he muttered between his teeth, and so gloriously beautiful, a great pity. Nevertheless, he was vexed with himself, and was firmly resolved, if chance ever gave him another interview with her, to make better use of his opportunity. Shortly afterwards, Countess Lendoff with Erika and Constance Mulberg took her leave. She was in a very good humour and exchanged all sorts of witticisms with Constance with regard to their evening. And how did you enjoy yourself? She asked Erika when after leaving Constance at home, the two were alone in the gondola on their way to the Britannia. I asked Erika with the contemptuous depression of the corners of her mouth. How could I enjoy myself in an assemblage where there was nothing talked of but love? Her grandmother laughed heartily. Yes, it was rather a silly way to pass the time, I confess. I cannot conceive why they waste so many words upon what is perfectly plain to anyone with eyes. They grope about and no one explains in the least the nature of love. She threw back her head and without for an instant losing the slightly mocking smile which was so characteristic of her beautiful old face, she said, Love is an irritation of the fancy produced by certain natural conditions which expresses itself so long as it lasts in the exclusive glorification of one single individual and robs the human being who is its victim of all power of discernment. All things considered, those people are very lucky who, when the torch of passion is extinguished, can find anything save humiliation in the memory of their love. The old countess was privately very proud of her definition and looked round at Erika with an air of self-satisfaction at having clothed what was so self-evident, so cheerful a view in such uncommonly appropriate words. But Erika's face had assumed a dark, pained expression. Her grandmother's words had aroused in her the old anguish, anguish for her mother. It was not to be denied that in some cases her grandmother's view was the true one. Was it true always? No. Something in the girl's nature rebelled against such a thought. No. A thousand times no. But the love of which you speak, grandmother, is only sham love, she said in a husky, trembling voice. There is surely another kind, a genuine, sacred, ennobling love. There may be, said her grandmother. The pity is that one never knows the true love from the false until it is past. Erika said no more. The air was mild. The scent of roses was wafted across the sluggish water of the lagoon. There was a faint sound of distant music, but an icy chill crept over Erika, and in her heart there was a strange aching, yearning pain. End of chapter 20